Welcome to Scope It Out. In this edition, guest host Dr. Mark Dubin talks with Dr. Peter Manis about his article, Rhinology Medicare Reimbursements Have Not Been Keeping Up With Inflation. Welcome to this edition of Scope It Out, the official podcast of the International Forum of Allergy and Rhinology. I'm your host for this episode, Mark Dubin from Baltimore, Maryland. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Peter Manis from Yale University in blustery New Haven, Connecticut, and we'll be discussing his recent IFR publication, Rhinology Medicare Reimbursements Have Not Been Keeping Up With Inflation, that was first published online in November 2021. Dr. Manis brings to the table unparalleled expertise on this topic, chairing the American Academy of Laryngology, Head and Neck Surgery 3P Committee, and is a world-renowned expert on healthcare coding and reimbursement. Welcome, Peter, and congratulations to you and your co-authors on this paper. What caught my attention about your article, Peter, is that while everyone practicing medicine feels that we're working harder and harder for less reimbursement, this is the first article looking at rhinology specifically, despite the general information throughout the field of otolaryngology. While the absolute dollars affect those of us in private practice more acutely, these reimbursement numbers that are tied to RVUs obviously affect all practicing rhinology in general. With that, I'd like to start with asking you, what interested you in this specific topic? I'm going to give a lot of credit to my co-authors, you know, specifically the, the first two, Sina Tarabi, who was one of our medical students at Yale, and Rahul Patel, who, when we were working on this, was a first-year medical student at Quinnipiac. We've actually been looking at this Medicare database for a long time, looking for different things that we could gain from it. And actually, those two helped generate the idea. Now, for me, this is something of an interest of mine. I like policy. I like health policy. I think it's interesting. And I like these concepts of reimbursement and how they affect us. And we don't talk about this stuff very often. We spend a lot of time talking about clinical stuff, as we should. But I think having a little bit of time and a little bit better information about some of these policy and business sides helps us all. I appreciate that. And thank you for doing it. Because while we certainly don't need to spend every minute talking about it. These are critical things for all of our practices, regardless of practice type. So at the bottom of all this and at the foundation, just so we're all starting this conversation at kind of a a somewhat equal playing field, tell me how physician reimbursements are calculated. I read it in your introduction, but keep it simple for the, uh, the less sophisticated folks like me. It, It actually is. It's pretty simple. So you have an RVU, a relative value unit, okay? Every procedure has a relative value unit. That's part of the reimbursement. And added to that is the practice expense. So how much does this procedure cost your practice? If you do it in an operating room, you're not gonna get any practice expense because it's not costing you anything except maybe a little bit of stuff that it takes your staff to schedule a procedure or arrange some pre-op clearance or things like that. But you know, you're not getting paid for a scalpel there. Then there's a component that's your professional liability insurance. Then we have to factor where you practice because it's more expensive to practice in Manhattan, in New York, than it is in Manhattan, Kansas. So that's accounted for. And then at the end of that, there's a fudge factor. And that's the conversion factor. And that's where the government starts uh, manipulating, might be a good word, how much actually all this turns into in real dollars And it's based on the fact that there's only a certain amount of money that the government has to pay in Medicare. And so when you put all that together, that's how you end up coming up with actual money. Got it. So those those initial that RVU is constructed at the formation of a code or a service. And then it's the conversion factor that is what we hear about every year being going going up or down. 
That's correct. All right. So with that as background, so tell me, tell me a little bit about how you did this paper, the methodology, and just generalize, generally summarize the results for us. So we looked at a time period between 2000 and 2021, and what we looked at was the Medicare physician fee schedule. And we looked at four specific categories. We looked at in-office endoscopies. We looked at in-office balloon osteodilation. We looked at facility low RVU surgeries, and we basically made up this number. We said, okay, if you're, ten, if you're less than 10 work RVUs, you're a low RVU surgery. And in facility high RVU surgeries, so that's if you're greater than 10. What we looked at then, you know, how often is this done and what were the reimbursements here? And then we also looked at it in terms of inflation. And if you look at it, and this is where it's a little bit sad, everything decreases. Uh, so for example, in this time period, reimbursements adjusted for inflation for low and high RVU surgeries decreased by 50% for low and 36% for high. I mean, that's pretty significant. And we can get into the why at some point later. Now, not everything was as dramatic as that decrease, but in general, things decreased. And that was something that we found interesting, especially because this is the first time we've actually actually looked at this specifically for rhinology. So I'm sure you expected it to decrease. I mean, you, we all practice and we all, we all see what's going on. Was, was that amount surprising for you? The amount was a little bit surprising. When we thought about it, we said, well, that seems like a lot. And it seemed like a lot, especially when we looked at other subsets of otolaryngology and then also other medical specialties. This study is not unique in that it has been done in lots of other specialties. And there's decreases but the decreases are not really as significant as they are here. You brought up the other, you know, the studies of the other subspecialties in ENT. How do these decreases compare to the other subspecialties? I mean, you don't need to give me the exact numbers, but. No, sure. Yeah. It's just more. In these other subsets of ENT, the average dollar reimbursements have at least gone up or had like a little bit of a decrease. But in general, they haven't really gone down. So that's surprising. That was surprising to us. And these are going down in absolute numbers, not just... These are absolute dollars and it's not just with inflation. You know, then you add in inflation and then you're like, wow, this is really going down significantly. And, you know, so then we thought about, well, why is this? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the short answer is well, we're not sure. I mean, we have a couple, we have some other, some ideas, you know, one might be when we're doing things in the office and let's say we have a product and it's new. It costs a lot of money. And then over time, the cost of that tends to go down. So we actually end up getting less. Now we end up paying less for that in theory, but our reimbursement then goes down. The other thing is maybe our reimbursement rates were high to begin with, and they've sort of started to come back to the norm. I think people do have that perception. I do think that perception is probably present for a lot of reasons because we were and one of the few parts of ENT that, you know, had zero day global periods for a long, long, long period of time. And so there's that perception, but maybe that was the case. And I do think when the FES codes were revalued a few years ago, that reset things a little bit. So you feel that one of the variables is that you, you feel that even within our specialty, that the feeling was that rhinology codes were overvalued on initial presentation. 
I think it's possible. I mean, I certainly don't think they were overvalued. I think they were correct. You and I may have a, a little bit of biased opinion on that. We but. have a little bit of bias that I guess <laughs> we should acknowledge there. That's true. But I think that that could account for some of the greater decrease that we're seeing. So how does this compare? Everyone uses ENM codes across the entire spectrum of medicine. How do, how do these decreases compare to ENM so everyone can sort of have a, a basis of a comparison? Well, ENMs are funny, you know, because ENMs for years and years and years were just flat. Like just as an RVU, they never changed. And so they were really, and they don't have a lot of practice expense built into them, at least not anything that changes. So they were something of a victim to the conversion factor in terms of actual dollars that you get. And, you know, if you look at the conversion factors, the conversion factors can be all over the place. Like one year, and we're getting back to like the late 90s, early 2000s. One year, they're up 5%. One year, they're down 5%. For a couple of years, they're just very flat. One year, it was 2011, they went down 7.9%. That's a lot. And so E&M was kind of a victim of this. Now, the reason I mentioned the comparison is E&M codes were recently revalued and they actually went up. The values of ENM codes went up, which almost never happens when codes are revalued. I think that was also an attempt to maybe equalize the playing field between proceduralists and people that just did pure ENMs. So one interesting thing in your paper is that as the you know throughout the same interval that the values have decreased, utilization has increased. You made several explanations for this. In there. And I was just wondering if you can comment on what you guys saw and your thought process on that. You know, I think we got to look at it from the time period that we looked at, you know, from 2000 to 2021. And, you know, what happened during that time? So I started residency in 2004. So this even predates me. But what do we do more of now? Well, first of all, I think we do a lot more nasal endoscopies in the office. And I think because I think we, recognize the added, what that adds to our clinical decision-making. We have moved a lot of procedures to the office that maybe weren't being done before. And also we're just doing more rhinologic procedures in that people during that time period are getting more trained at it. They're spending time in residency with people that are teaching them how to do sinus surgery instead of, oh, there's someone here that's doing it. There's someone here that's doing it. That is a significant part of resident teaching. And then when residents are done, they're going out and doing it. So I think people are just doing it more. And the other aspect is just the aging population. You know, this is the Medicare population that we're talking about. You're going to have more people just in general as a gross number of doing more. So you don't think it's a fair conclusion to look at that data and say, oh, look, people are getting paid less. They're just doing more and more of these things to make up the Delta. I don't. And we've actually looked at some of that data before. And you can actually identify either regions or individuals that may be doing more, but as a specialty in general, we're not. I think in every medical specialty, there's always going to be outliers, but the vast majority are just doing what they think should be done for the patient. That's great. Thank you. It's the optimist in me. That's that's (laughs) very, very, very optimistic. I, I would agree which is an interesting thing to be given your specialty in this. Very hard to be an optimist when looking at coding and reimbursement on a daily basis. So you mentioned a lot of payers, Medicare in particular, is is trying to 
work towards merit-based incentives. You know, how, how do you think that has the potential to affect all of this? And I, I acknowledge I'm asking you to look into a crystal ball and see in the future, but your thoughts? I'm going to be playing wizard here. I think we're still so far off from some of that because we just don't have good definitions of what we should and should not be doing in this. I mean, what are some of the rhinologic things? What is it like? Don't get a CAT scan for acute sinusitis. Okay, got it. If that's our bar, I think actually rhinologists can do quite well in MIPS systems because they'll be acting appropriately. I think rhinology is a hard one because there's still a lot that we don't know about what we absolutely should and should not be doing. And so if we continue, if the merit payment systems continue to keep it fairly reasonable and fairly simple, I think we'll be fine. I think it'd be very hard to make it much more complex. One of my last questions is acknowledging you haven't looked at it because there is no way to look at this. You think this is extrapolated to commercial payers as well? My personal hypothesis, and acknowledge I can't test it, is that there's, you know, it's at least parallel, if not a steeper decline, if you were to look at that data. Your thoughts? It's got to be. I mean, it just has to be. The other thing is, yeah, we can't look at that data, but I think we all recognize it. I mean, if you're not, you should be looking at your EOBs and, you know, your what's coming in and what's going out. I think there's got to be a decrease. And then, especially with a lot of the private payers, I don't know about you. I mean, that's where we spend a lot of time. That's where our office spends a lot of time trying to get scans approved, surgeries approved, all this kind of stuff. And that's labor and that costs money. So now it's more out and probably less in, but certainly it's going to be less when you net it all together. It's, it's got to parallel it. It would be nice to have a similar database, but it's why, you know, this is a good database that we can use to extrapolate from. So as, as we close out, anything that I forgot to ask that you want a, you know, a reader or listener to this to take home from, from this uh, manuscript? I think the important thing is that it applies to everybody. We often talk about academics and private practice and things like that. And I don't think it matters what practice situation you're in. You should be aware of this because whether if you're in private practice, the money you're bringing in is keeping your lights on and is paying your staff. Similar in academics at this point, no university is going to want to support a department or a division that's running some deficit. That gets old pretty fast. And that's what gets leaders. I don't know. Do they get, do they get promoted or do they get, you know, <laughs> or do they get moved on? I don't know. No comment. I, perfect. <laughs> Me neither. I have no idea. I think it's just important to recognize that this is an important part of medicine. Let's face it. Doctors are not, we're not great advocates for ourselves. And the public also doesn't necessarily have a lot of sympathy for us because we all, we tend to do quite well. When you look at reimbursements, I don't care what job you have. If someone told you, hey, it's 1994 and we're going to pay you at the same rates in 2021 that we paid you in 1994, they'd say you're nuts. You're out of your mind. So just a little attention to this kind of stuff, I think is important for everybody, no matter what practice situation you're in. Thank you very, very much for talking to me tonight. Thank you for doing this research and thank you for continuing to be an advocate and a voice for this. It's been a great discussion. I've enjoyed it. And again, congratulations to you and your colleagues on your publication. And thank you, of course, to our Scope It Out listeners. This is Mark Dubin for Scope It Out, the official podcast of the International Forum of Allergy and Rhinology, signing off for now. 
Thanks for listening. Scope It Out is a co-production of the International Forum of Allergy and Rhinology and Wiley. All opinions in this podcast are those of podcast hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect those of Wiley or the sponsors.